Hello, real life and friends and family. So good to be with you all today and to just continue to grow in our faith together. And today we are celebrating Pentecost Sunday. It's an incredible date on you know, the Christian calendar. And uh, Pentecost really is the celebration of the birth of the church. So happy birthday, church. <laughs> and today, as we're continuing our series called Real Life, uh, really kind of explaining our name, but really about the quality of life that God came to give us, we're moving on to our fourth main step in this process. The first three being know God. We're called to know God, to know Him intimately, not just through a religious experience, but to know Him in a real fellowship way, an intimate way. And then to find freedom. That's our second step in our process here at Real Life is to find freedom. Find freedom means being who God made you to be and divesting ourselves from pain, from labels, from hurts that would hinder us from being who God made us to be. We believe that every single person can find freedom in Jesus Christ. Uh, and then the third that we just finished last week, and we've been spending two weeks on each of these, um, is to discover purpose. <laughs> I had to remember that for a second. To discover purpose. And we all have a purpose. And our purpose is about eternity, impacting eternity. As I said last week, you know, God has given us this incredible invitation to join him on an adventure that what we do on planet Earth with what we have, our time, our resources, our influence, our opportunities, that we can actually impact eternity. And so today we're going to do our last one and spend the next two weeks on this. And uh, this last one is make a difference. You were made to make a difference. God wants to make a difference through your life. That's why you're here, not just your purpose, but what does that difference look like? And so today it's a perfect day to celebrate Pentecost Sunday and talk about making a difference because that's when it all started for us. That's when the church was born and the church through the power of God's word and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit began to make a difference in this world. That's awesome. So let's celebrate today by reading Acts chapter 2. I want to read this with you. If you have a Bible, you can get it out. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. So hang in there with me. This is the birth of the church. Okay, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, because this was a pilgrimage feast, the Pentecost. So people came from all over the place to Jerusalem to celebrate this pilgrimage feast. And so they were coming from all different nations, speaking different languages. Verse 6, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. God did a miracle, and he was basically preaching the gospel to all the nations of the world at one time through the gift of tongues. It was incredible. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? In other words, how do they know my language, you know? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, 
uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying all these words right, but I'm trying, uh, I'm not even sure how to say this word, Fergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This was an incredible miracle, an obvious move of God, and something crazy was happening. The birth of the church was happening. Uh, verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. They thought they were drunk and babbling. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And now we are about to hear the first sermon recorded by one of the apostles uh, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the first sermon. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him, to the, uh, raised him from the dead, freeing him, from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you, confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In other words, God the Father said to Jesus, David's Lord, have a seat, son, well done, right? Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, this was the message, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And listen to this, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The church was born. They had a revival. 3,000 people about gave their life to Jesus that day. Verse 42, they continue, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And listen to this as, a, as this chapter ends. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the birth of the church. That's what we're celebrating today. Talk about making a difference. Uh, that day was a huge difference-making day. Can you agree with that? And you know what? Ever since that day, through the Holy Spirit, the church has been making a difference all across this world. So I want to talk about three amazing, powerful significances of Pentecost. Okay? The first one is the Word of God. Now, it's a Jewish tradition that on the very first Pentecost, the time that the Israelites came out of Egypt was Passover. Pentecost is seven weeks and a day later. It's 50 days. That's what Penta means, 50. 50 days after the Passover, the Jewish tradition is Moses ascended Mount Sinai and God gave Moses the Torah, the instructions, the Word of God. Okay, so this is super significant. This is connected to the idea of Pentecost, that God is giving His Word to us, right? And the Torah is the revelation of who God is and how we relate to God. It's not really a rule book. It's how we participate in the abundant life that God has for us. Because Torah really means instructions, directions, teachings, right? And I always refer to it as the bullseye for living life, all right? So God gives us the target. He gives us the uh, instructions, the teaching on how to relate to him and how to enjoy an abundant life, which Jesus said he came to give. So the word of God is a gift to us. God gave us this gift so we could have life and freedom and fullness. Can I get an amen? <laughs> all right? And those of you who love the word of God and are putting it in your heart and are letting it change the way that you think and the view, view life, you know it brings freedom and prosperity and wholeness to you, right? That's the gift that God has given us, the Word of God. Now, but this is exciting, okay, because there's a progression of amazing points here. Now, I'm not going to be able to get into all of this, but I want to just give you a really quick overview of some of these things. First of all, Jeremiah 31, 33, the prophet says this, uh, speaking on God's behalf, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will write my word, my law, Torah, on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, it's interesting in Deuteronomy 17, 18, there's a command for the kings of Israel. And when a king would take his position on his throne, 
he is then required to write a copy of the Torah or the law of God. Here's what the verse says. When he, the king, takes his throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. And he was to read that every day. He was to have it with him all the times, at all times, because it was the instructions for how he was supposed to be as a king. Okay, isn't that awesome? Now, Jesus is the king of kings. And when he sat down at the right hand of God the Father, which we heard David prophesy in the, this, uh, that Peter quoted in this book of Acts chapter 2, my Lord God said, the Lord God the Father said to my Lord Jesus, take a seat, right? Have a seat. Um, so when Jesus took his seat, he then poured out the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit came upon us, and listen to this. Now the Holy Spirit is writing Jesus' copy of the Torah on our hearts, isn't he? This is so awesome when I think about this. 2 Corinthians 3.3, Paul is reflecting on this idea, and he says, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, like at Mount Sinai, but now on tablets of human hearts. Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is writing God's word on our hearts as a fulfillment to Jeremiah 31:33. Jesus is writing his copy of the Torah, not on paper, not on stone, but on human hearts, on your heart. Man, this is so awesome. I love this. All right. Anyway, here's, here's a, another list of interesting things I want to make, these comments. First of all, we read or we read the Word of God. We read the Word of God, right, at the first Pentecost. Moses came down the mountain. He had these stone tablets. The Word of God was, was engraved on these stone tablets, and the people could read the Word. All right, so we read the word. Then Jesus shows up, who is the word, and, and John, the apostle John says, we saw him, we heard him, we ate with him. So we not just read the word, but then Jesus shows up and we see the word, we hear the word. But now at Pentecost, we are now not just reading, seeing, or hearing, we are experiencing the word because the spirit of God himself lives inside of us. Now we are experiencing the word. So cool, all right? So that's the first significance of Pentecost is the Word of God. The Word of God needs to be in you. It needs to be a focus of your life. And it needs to be taking over all of your own personal thoughts, your own opinions, your past. It needs to be dominating as the, as the soul-anchored truth in everything that you do, okay? Because that's how you're going to be fully alive and free and powerful in God, to be walking in alignment with God's Word. Okay, but the second super powerfully significant thing about Pentecost obviously is the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit, right? And this is the first time that the Holy Spirit was not just, I mean, we see illustrations in the Old Testament, Holy Spirit coming upon people, but never living inside of people, never staying permanently inside of someone's life, which happened at Pentecost. Now, if you think about this, God's initial desire was to live with us. Remember in the garden, he's walking with Adam and Eve, right? And he wants to be with us. He created us to have fellowship with him. But then our sin alienated us from God and we were kicked out of the garden, so to speak. 
And then God shows up on Mount Sinai. Wow. God came into his own creation. I believe his feet landed on Mount Sinai. There was thunder. There were storms. There was earthquakes. There was all kinds of stuff going on there because God was showing up, you know. But he wanted to be with us. So he says this in Exodus 25, 8. Have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. So God's first baby step in getting back to us is to have us make a sanctuary. So first of all, we started with a tent and a tabernacle and God lived in that tabernacle. Then over history, that tabernacle became a temple. And in Jerusalem, they built a temple, right? And God filled the temple. But at Pentecost, the Spirit of God no longer resides in a tabernacle or a tent no longer resided in a temple, but now God comes inside of us. The Holy Spirit is now back in fellowship with mankind. For every heart that has placed faith in Christ, that heart is cleansed and forgiven, and the presence of God himself comes and resides in us. Wow, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is our, this is our daily experience of living filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul is saying this and he goes through this whole thing and he says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? You're the temple now and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. He dwells in you. And Jesus said, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit. He's going to live with you and in you. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2 as we read about that. That is an experience and a lifestyle every single one of us needs to seek and live in at all times. We need to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit because that is God's desire is to be with us and filling us, inspiring us so that we can actually make a difference. All right, so we had the powerful word of God, the truth of God written on our hearts. Now we had the presence of God filling us and it's through those two things that we make a difference in this world. But there's a third significance to Pentecost I want to bring up. And it is all about the harvesting of souls. Okay, now here's a little known fact about Pentecost. It actually, on the calendar, Jewish, Jewish calendar, it is the first fruits of the wheat harvest. It's the ending of the barley harvest, and it's the beginning and the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So there is a first fruits offering that's brought at Pentecost. And it really represents, God, I think that you have provided all that I've needed, and you will continue to provide all that I need. And so as, as an obedience to God and his instructions on how to live life to the full, to activate God's blessing in our lives, we always bring the first fruits, right? We call that a tithe. And so the people would bring the tithe of the wheat harvest to God, celebrating God's faithfulness to them as their provider, knowing and recognizing our trust is in you, not the sweat of our brow, not the work of our hands, not anything to do with us, but because you are good, you are our provider, you will provide. We worship you, God, with the first fruits offering. So today we are bringing a first fruits offering for the vision that God has on our life in the future going forward at Real Life. The Real Life uh, vision campaign today, we are collecting pledges and offerings, and we're going to count that up, and we are going to celebrate what God is going to do as we leverage the resources of this earth to make a difference in eternity. I know it looks like it's a parking lot, it's some bathrooms, it's some paint, but all of that stuff works together for us to have a place to, to preach the gospel, to reach out to more people, and, and that's why we're doing this. All of this is to reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we're bringing that first fruits offering today, but it's going to impact the kingdom. 
And Jesus challenges us to not store up for ourselves treasures uh, on earth, you know, things that can rust, things that can be stolen, things that can get eaten, but store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Last week I talked about what is the most precious thing uh, in all of creation? It's souls. How do you impact eternity? You win souls. What was Pentecost all about? Peter gets up. He shares this message. The word of God. Peter is speaking the word of God. The Holy Spirit has showed up. The Holy Spirit is inspiring Peter and the apostles. And the power of God's presence is there. So we have the word of God. The power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what happens? There is a harvesting of souls. 3,000 people got saved. The church was born. People were brought from death to life. And that is the same today for every person who is aligning their lives with the word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to inspire them. There will be the fruitfulness of souls, the harvesting of souls. That's why the church is still here today, because our mission and our goal and the way we make a difference is to harvest souls for the kingdom loving people back to God, reaching out to people and impacting them to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's why we're still here. And that's how we make a difference. And we are in the season of history where right now the church has been commissioned with this incredibly important mission from God himself. We are the ambassadors of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We have the truth we have his presence, and now we go forth with that assignment to preach that gospel to everyone, to reach as many as we possibly can, because there's a day coming when this season will end and we will all enter into eternity. And uh, at that point, we will celebrate forever, you know, our new life in Christ. But that is also the point where others will have been lost. And so Jesus has commissioned the church to get out there and preach this great news. The harvesting of souls is so awesome. And so I want to say this statement very clear. A life lived in alignment with God's word and inspired by the Holy Spirit will result in souls being saved. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. That's what we're doing. Proverbs 11.30 says this, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So I was looking at this in the Hebrew words, and I was, I was really pleased that I actually knew uh, when I looked at it, I knew the, the words in Hebrew when I looked at this verse uh, in, the, in the Hebrew language. And as you look at it in the Hebrew, I'm going to kind of just give you a little bit of an insight of, of what I see it saying. It's really saying that the fruit of a righteous person or a person who is made right and is living in that place, that they look like a tree that's producing fruit, and the fruit of that tree is living. It's like lives. The word in Hebrew is chaim, and it's like lives or it's living. In other words, the fruit of a person who is made righteous, the way that they live their lives, it actually results in life happening around them. That other people, instead of dying, are coming to life. There are souls being one. The reason I can make that connection is because the second half of the verse is actually identifying souls as the purpose or the, uh, uh, the object of that life, okay? In Hebrew, one of the um, literary techniques that's used over and over again is repeating itself in a different way to say the same thing. 
So the first part of that verse says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The second part, which is repeating the same idea in a different way, is saying, and he who wins souls is wise. Now, in the Hebrew, it actually would say something like this. He who takes souls is wise. Now, a lot of times, and I don't know what your, your uh, uh, history is in, in the church, but a lot of times we're passive about um, our faith. And sometimes what I mean by that is evangelism. Sometimes we're like, well, you know, hopefully they'll notice that I'm living a good life or hopefully I'll pray for someone that they'll come to know God. But the, the, the idea in this verse, Hebrew, it doesn't have the word. It doesn't mean wins. He wins souls is wise. Uh, it doesn't mean um, something passive. It means something intentional that you're actually going out and you're taking it. And I think that that the message of Christ to us is that we are to go out and, and make disciples of him. We are to be intentional. We are to be, I wouldn't say aggressive, but we are to be very intentional about this is why we're here. We are to go to people, talk to them about Christ, give them the gospel, and win those souls back. Take those souls back for the kingdom of God. You remember that, uh, that verse that Jesus says uh, about the kingdom uh, will be taken by force. And it's this idea that the church has a life or death mission. And we need to understand that there's an intensity to eternity that no one can deny. And there are people who are in the balance, in the valley of decision. And we are the hands and feet and the voices of God on the earth. And so as a church, we want to do everything we can do to reach as many as we can reach without any apologies. We are doing this on purpose. We're not just huddled up together in a corner somewhere trying to have a good life together. We're trying to make a difference in this world. And I challenge you, make a difference. That is your God-given purpose with the giftings and talents and opportunities God has given you. You need to be intentional to win souls for Him. Amen? That's the calling on every single one of us. Not just a pastor, not just an evangelist. That is the calling of God on every single one of us to win souls. And he who wins souls is wise. So that's our verse for the week I want to encourage you with. And as I close this message, I want to talk about three trumpet calls. All right. The first trumpet call that we see in scripture was on the first Pentecost. The Bible says this in Exodus 19, 16, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. There was a loud trumpet blast. There was an earth, earthquake. There was shaking. There was fire. And God descended on Mount Sinai. That was the first trumpet call. First trumpet call, the word of God was given to man, right? Now, in Acts chapter 2, I wonder, is this the, is this the second trumpet call? Let's, let me just read this with this in mind. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Again, listen to this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. To me, that sounds like someone's blowing a trumpet. It says it's a sound like the blowing doo -doo -doo, you know, of, a, of a violent wind came upon, uh, it says, and it came from heaven came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. I believe there was a trumpet call uh, that happened that from heaven and God, the presence of God showed up because every time there's a trumpet call in the scripture, it is to usher in the presence of the king. 
And when God showed up on planet Earth the first time at Mount Sinai, there was a loud trumpet from heaven. And when the Holy Spirit showed up on the earth to dwell inside of us, there, I believe this was a trumpet call from heaven. And how many of you know there's going to be one more trumpet call from heaven, right? And that's the one we're all excited to hear because it says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52, Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And that's the third trumpet call from heaven. I believe that the scriptures are filled with, with lists of threes, right? And I believe there's three trumpet calls, and we've already had two, and we're looking forward to the third and final one. Until that trumpet calls, though, this is my feeling about this message today. The church right now is the trumpet call of God on the earth that is reverberating right now. Why do I say that? Because the presence of God came upon us. His breath is in us. And we're in the season of the second trumpet call. And right now, the trumpet call of God is to come home. It is to gather the people of God together. The trumpet call was not always just to announce the presence of the king, but it was to gather the people together. They gathered the people together, the attention to Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. And the Holy Spirit uh, coming upon the believers, they were gathered together. And then all the people, when they heard the trumpet call, what did they do? It says, all the people heard, heard that sound and they came and they gathered together and the message was preached. And right now on the earth, you are the trumpet call of God. You had the word of God inside of your heart. You have the breath of God in your lungs and you had the spirit of God, the presence of God inside of you that's flowing out of you. And we are now the message uh, to the world to, to come and gather to God. We are calling people home, calling people to, to redemption, calling people to restoration. That is the voice on the earth right now. It's God's voice and it's through you and it's through me and it's through us together, the church. We are the trumpet call of God. Man, this, is a, this just makes me so excited about the purpose that God has for our lives. And first of all, these, these threes again, the trumpet call announces the presence of the king. So God came at Mount Sinai, right? Then the trumpet call, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers. And then Jesus is going to come during the third one and rapture the church. But also listen, the first trumpet call, the feet of God landed on Mount Sinai. And the last trumpet call, Jesus' feet are going to land on Mount Zion. And in the middle of that, right now, the second trumpet call, God's feet are now your feet. We are on the earth right now. God showed up. He filled the church. Now we are his feet on the earth. And then Jesus is going to come back and his feet land with that third trumpet call. God is blowing through us to draw all souls to himself. And so in the midst of all of this, we're here to make a difference a lot of people, and I'm one of them, believe that in the scheme of things, the, the outline of God's redemption of mankind is identified in the seven appointed feasts that God has given the Jewish people. The first three are all very closely related. That's the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. Those are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he died for us. And the summary of those three festivals together is that God saves us. He's delivered us. And then in the middle of the seven, the middle one is Pentecost. And the real 
fulfillment of this Pentecost is that now the church is born and we are filled with everything that we need to do to continue what Jesus started. Jesus saves. Now Jesus is saving through the church. The church is present time right now, the trumpet call of God to lost souls everywhere. But then the last three all happen uh, in quick succession as well, starting with something called the Feast of Trumpets and then the Day of Atonement, and then finally the Feast of the Ingathering. And we believe that Jesus is going to return and fulfill those three feasts at the end of time, with that last trumpet call. And so until that happens, we are here fulfilling this time frame, the call of God to the people to come home and to be with Him. And so we are the breath of God, we are His feet, and as we align ourselves with God's Word and allow the Holy Spirit to inspire our lives, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. May you put your hands to the task. May you do everything that God called you to do because you're here to make a difference and we're here to make a difference together. And so today we're celebrating God's word. We're celebrating God's spirit and we're celebrating this amazing adventure that God has invited us on. And at Real Life, as we do this vision campaign, we're celebrating together just us making sacrifices, giving, leveraging what we have to build a place where we can reach more people more effectively. And so I just want to say thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for giving. You can give online. You can bring something into the church. You can make a pledge. You can be a part of this in so many different ways. But I just want to say thank you for praying and responding to whatever God puts on your heart to do because I believe God is going to raise enough through our church to do exactly what he's called us to do and it's, it's just going to be a great adventure together as we see more and more eternity impacted because of earthly lives coming to know him. So over the next course of the next several weeks and months, we are looking to raise $230,000 to complete phase one. And that includes most of that, a new parking lot with some basketball hoops outside. We'll also be um, renovating our bathrooms and also getting a really cool uh, outdoor sign with our new name on it. Uh, We already have $68,000 saved. And then today is our big giving day, uh, bringing our very best gift to God. And so we'll get that number out to you and update you in the weeks ahead on how we're doing. And we're also praying for a grant through the Jenny's Memorial Foundation. And we'll know about that in a month or so. So we're believing that God's going to help us reach these goals so we can reach more people. Again, we want to do everything we can to reach as many as we can. But right now, as I close this message, I want to invite you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And those of you who already have Christ at the center of your life, I just want to pray a blessing of the Holy Spirit upon you to just refresh you and encourage you and equip you with everything that God has for you to do. So if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, pray this prayer with me, okay? Say, Jesus, I choose to trust in you today as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming to save me. Thank you for paying for for my sin and my debt, for taking my death and giving me life. Today, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm all yours. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might be empowered to live this new life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I pray for each one here today. God, we all need your Spirit. We need refreshment, we need empowerment, we need strength, we need wisdom, we need grace, we need you, we need you. And now, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit 
to just be strong upon each one listening to my voice and watching this right now. Oh, Holy Spirit, just come upon each one of us right now. Every hungry heart right now, just touch us and fill us. Just remind us that we are not alone, that you are with us and you are in us. And we surrender to you, to your leading of our lives, to your guidance of our lives. And we trust in you, Holy Spirit, to inspire us to the purpose you have for us, Lord, and for you to produce a fruit through our life that is souls, that is living like a tree of lives, that our life will blossom and produce and multiply many changed lives as your word and your spirit move in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, let me give you guys your blessing today, and, and then you just have a great day and a great week, okay? So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in his name. I want to give you another blessing out of Hebrews. And may the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day.